0: Following is a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more information on Shore for our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. We want to have that sense that even though we're, we're today we're more kind of scattered than we are gathered, uh, that we're still a church, right? We're still 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 a community. We're still the people of God, still a church, and we're spread out today across the city in all sorts of different ways. But whether you're here online or uh, whether you're here in person, we're still one church. This is still Shaw Community Church, and we're still the same family. And uh, in fact, this is going to be a time over this next season where it's going to be even more important to be a family together and to really look out for each other and really care for each other and uh, care about our vulnerable people and think about our weaker members and our elder members and uh, those that are more susceptible and be really connecting with them. And our staff team's thinking through what that means in terms of pastoral care and those that are lonely and isolated at the moment, just still being able to know and sense that they're part of this community. So we're going to be working on those things and thinking those things through. We're going to have to be creative, I think, more creative uh, with the way that we gather and the way that we connect with each other, but we're still committed, committed to connecting in some form. And uh, my, my sense is, I want to just say this up front, my, my sense is at the moment that this is really a time for us to be praying as a church. I mean, every time is a time to be praying. But now in particular, I think God is really calling us to prayer as a church. I think around the world, God's calling his people to prayer. Uh, every major revival and renewal of the Christian faith around the world in history has happened at times of major social upheaval and turmoil, either during those times or straight after those times. And we are going through a time at the moment of major social upheaval and change like none of us have ever lived through before. And this is a time when God is calling us to our knees to pray, Uh, not to succumb to fear, but to pray that God would move, to pray that there would be an awakening, to pray that in the midst of all this when so much that we have taken for granted for a long time and a lot of the things that a lot of people have come to put a lot of value and security on are starting to look very shaky. Uh, This is a time for us to pray there would be an awakening of hope and faith that God would bring renewal, that he'd bring renewal into our churches, that he would bring renewal into this world, that he'd bring renewal into our own lives, that we would see another great awakening. I mean, we want to see God move, right? We want to see people come to know Christ in the middle of this. Uh, We want to see a great awakening like the great awakenings of the 18th and 19th centuries with John Wesley and George Whitfield. And we are praying, God, do it again. Come and move in power. Come and move among us. Come and draw people to yourself. And so I just want to encourage you as a Shaw Community Church family to focus your energies there, to focus your hearts and your minds on prayer, not running around like frightened sheep, but praying that God would come and do something extraordinary and that we would see people turn to Him, uh, that there would be an openness to things of faith and conversations about God. And uh, let's be aware, let's be open, and let's be open to the renewal that God wants to do in our own hearts. I mean, each of us, I think this is a time for us to be led to a deeper place of of faith and trust in God. So with that in mind, we're going to pray. We're going to start by praying, just commit our time today, to the Lord and commit everything that's going on in our world today to God so let's pray wherever you are uh, let's pray together Father God we come to you as your people your people scattered across the North Shore this morning your people scattered across the city some of us on our own some of us in groups and clusters of people but Lord Jesus we know that you are here you are here with us And we want to acknowledge, Lord, in the midst of all this, God, it's taking us some time even just to catch up emotionally and mentally with everything that's going on and things are moving so fast and changing so fast, but we want to just come this morning and we want to come back to the solid ground, the solid rock that is you, Jesus. We want to come back, Lord, and just remind ourselves that you are God, that you are sovereign, that you are reigning and ruling over all things, and you are in control. Father, I pray this would be a time when we don't succumb to fear. When we don't become people of fear, but we become people of prayer. People who are on our knees. And God, I know, even among our church family, there are struggles now and there are uncertainties. And there's a lot of anxieties about what the next few months are going to bring and all the the various repercussions of all this, God. And you know, you know the struggles and you know the things on our mind and all of the questions. But Lord Jesus, we know that in the middle of all that, in the middle of all those questions and struggles and anxieties, we can meet with you. We know that you are here, Jesus. We know that you are present. We know that you are in control. We know that you are for us and not against us. And so I pray, Lord God, as we gather in a different way this morning, that you would be just as much, among us, and we know that you are, as when we would normally gather at the school on a Sunday morning. We want to pray, God, as we open your word together this morning, that you'd speak to us. And I want to trust, Lord, that for each person sitting in their lounge or wherever they are this morning, that you would speak just as powerfully through your word to them, right where they are now, and that you would bring transformation, that you'd open our eyes, Lord, that you'd bring that awakening of faith and hope. And, God, that you would teach us. And we pray in this moment that your church would step forward and be the church. We thank you that the gospel is still good news, that Jesus has risen, and you are Lord of all. So we're in your hands, God, and we pray this morning that you'd lead and guide this time, be powerfully working among us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, I'm going to do some teaching. And so uh, hopefully, if if you're at home, you've got a Bible there. Or uh, maybe you've got a device that's got a Bible on it. And so I want to encourage you. And this is probably going to be the new normal for some time. So I want to encourage you to have your Bible during this time and to be following along. Uh, you might, I'm not sure whether we'll have the, uh, the PowerPoint that I'm using on screen as well. You might see that. You might not. But if you're able to, run and grab a Bible. And, uh, and have it with you, and we'll open it, and we'll read it. And I've been, uh, like everyone, you know, just trying to figure out how to respond to all of this over the last week. And things have changed so fast, particularly in this last week. It sort of felt like one week has been a month. You know, Every day, there's, there's new news, and there's new decisions, and the thing changes again. And so uh, I've been kind of grappling with, well, what do I teach? in the middle of all this? And, and what do I bring from God's word? And, and should I throw everything out that we've been doing and, and bring something totally new? But my sense has been that this book that we're in at the moment of Isaiah, and particularly these passages uh, last week and this week and next week, uh, these, this, this part of Isaiah, these chapters, that this is what God wants to have us know and hear at this moment, uh, that this is God's word. And as you look in these chapters uh, and in this passage, we'll look at this week in Isaiah 9. There are so many connections to what is going on in the world at the moment. So many parallels that uh, I just have a strong sense this is what God wants us to hear. And we may change direction in the next couple of weeks and things are moving all the time. But for now, I've got that sense. This is where we want to be. This is what God wants to say to us. So we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. Uh, if you have a Bible, open up. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, this is where we're up to in this ongoing series that we're doing in the, in the book of Isaiah. And I'll read out the first, uh, it'll be the first seven verses today of Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy, as they rejoice before you, as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For to us, will accomplish this. So as you think about this passage, as you approach this passage, the image that you need to have in your mind is the image of a sunrise. That's the image that Isaiah, this is the picture that he's painting. Uh, This beautiful sunrise. And you can just imagine that in your mind's eye. Uh, the most beautiful sunrise maybe you've seen. You probably haven't seen a sunrise recently because it's been summer and the sun's come up so early. Maybe you'll see one soon when Daylight Savings ends. But, you know, picture that glorious sunrise, the sun coming up, maybe glistening over the water. This is the image. Often in Isaiah, there's a dominant image that he's working with. And here it's of a beautiful sunrise. So Isaiah is speaking to a people who are living in a place of darkness. And there's this kind of spiritual and moral darkness in the nation of Judah at the time. They've already walked a long way from God, and they've absorbed the worship practices of the nations around them, and they've become unfaithful to God. So they're already living in this place of moral and spiritual decay, a real darkness over the nation. And then add to that, now the nation of Judah is facing this threat from other nations. So there's, the, there's a national crisis that's going on, and Judah is, is being attacked at various times from other nations, Israel and Aram and Assyria. Uh, coming against them and laying siege to the city. And so this is creating a real time of crisis, a, a huge time of turmoil in the nation and adding to the darkness they're already feeling. And in the midst of that darkness, what Isaiah is doing is painting this beautiful picture that the sun's coming up. You know, Even in the, even in the gloom, he uses that word in verse one, gloom. It's like everything's gloomy, but he's saying, hey, the sun is rising. There's this beautiful sunrise of God's presence and life and hope that's rising here and we need to look to that and this is why I felt like this was still worth preaching this morning I mean this is why because you can see straight away can't you I mean this is for us like aren't we living in a time of darkness aren't we living at the moment in a time I mean, we're already in that time of spiritual and moral darkness in our in our country in our world with so many people uh, totally disinterested in God there was already that but now then we have this sense now of global crisis Now we have this, this, this pandemic and there's a sense of anxiety and there's fear and there's sometimes panic and hysteria and there's uncertainty and there's all sorts of layers and repercussions and it's just like this darkness has kind of settled. And I think the mood at the moment is a bit like Isaiah describes it in verse one, gloom. That's kind of how it feels. Just kind of, you know, every day you get more news and it just feels gloomy. And this is a time we need to hear this word of the Lord more than ever and to look to this beautiful sunrise. Because Isaiah is saying, on those who are living in the land of deep darkness, a light is dawning. There's light. There's, there's sunrise. And we don't want to be people of the darkness. We want to be people of the light. So we are got to look to where the sun is rising and move towards that. So this is what Isaiah does. He talks about this light, this light of hope and life and presence that is coming about. And the first thing that he points us to is he says, this light, this sunrise, it's coming from an interesting place. It, the sun's rising in an interesting place. Uh, he says in verse one, uh, "In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali." Those are, words might not mean anything to you, but they, they are two of the tribes of Israel, uh, the original tribes of Israel. And when Israel moved into the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land of Zebulun, the tribe of Zebulun, and the tribe of Naphtali, those two tribes—they were allocated land along with the rest of the tribes of Israel. And the land they were allocated was up in the north of Israel in the land that's now called the Galilee, the area of Galilee. And it's the land where that big lake is, the Sea of Galilee. And we know that from the ministry of Jesus. That's the area where these two tribes received their land. And so they settled there. And for many centuries, the Jewish people from those tribes lived in that, in that land. But around the time of Isaiah, when these other nations began to attack, particularly Assyria, that was the first area they attacked. That was the first incursion of Assyrian troops was into this this land given to Zebulun and Naphtali the land of Galilee which is why Isaiah says it's Galilee of the nations it's Galilee of the gentiles because at this point or pretty soon after it didn't it didn't remain a Jewish homeland it didn't remain just a purely Jewish area all these other gentiles came in all these other nations Assyrian troops and so on, Canaanite peoples, they came and overran the land. And so this this area of Galilee, it was a a real cultural mix, real cultural melting pot after that. And Isaiah says it's from that area, funnily enough, that this light is going to dawn. And it's interesting then, and some of you can already hear, if you know a bit of the New Testament, you can hear, we get all the way over to Matthew, and we get to the ministry of Jesus. And where does Jesus base his ministry? Galilee, right? And Jesus moves into this little village called Capernaum in Galilee. And that is where he begins his public ministry from. And I'll just read you Matthew's little bit on this because he quotes Isaiah. He says in Matthew 3 verse 13 about Jesus, Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. Which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Like Matthew makes a point of it, unmistakable. And then he goes even further to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, just in case you missed it. You know, this is what's happening. Then Matthew goes back to Isaiah and he says, All that stuff Isaiah said in Isaiah 9, this is your guy. This is happening right now. In other words, Isaiah is saying that light, that's not just a thing, it's not just an event, it's a person. This light, the sunrise, this is a person. This is Jesus of Nazareth. He is the light who is dawning in the darkness of this situation. He is the light that Isaiah talked about 800 years ago. Now he's here and he's fulfilling everything that Isaiah spoke of. So all this prophecy in Isaiah 9 of this light and the one who is to come and the wonderful counselor and prince of peace, all this, all that is pointing towards Jesus. Now, for Jewish people uh, within Judaism, they're still looking for the Messiah. Right? So within a Jewish context, they are they're reading Isaiah 9 and still expecting that person to come. They'd read that in a synagogue and say, no, no, that Messiah, still waiting. One day, every Passover for the Jewish people, they set a table, a table place for Elijah, believing that Elijah's going to come as a forerunner of the Messiah. And then the one day the Messiah is going to be here. But we know now with the fullness of God's revelation, that Messiah has come. And that Messiah is Jesus. And he he has lived and died and been raised again. So as we read Isaiah now as Christians, we read it in view of its fulfilment in Jesus. And that's so important in these messianic passages like Isaiah 9. We're seeing it in view of its fulfillment in Jesus of Nazareth. So we can read it in light of Christ now. That's how we read it as Christians. We read this all in light of Jesus. And so let's look at what this passage says about the light of the world, Jesus who has come. Uh, move to verse six. And here's some descriptions of this uh, this messiah for unto us a child is born to us a son is given now we're used to kind of hearing those verses at christmas time right that's kind of our these are our carols that we sing because they talk of jesus as a baby and so that's what we sing but then isaiah quickly moves on and says and the government will be on his shoulders and so what isaiah is describing he's describing a king i mean a king was someone who would have the government on his shoulders right a king. No, no, they didn't have presidents and prime ministers in those days, but it was a king who would, who would bear the weight of the government of his people. And Isaiah is saying, this one who is coming, who we know to be Jesus, he is a king, and, and he's the king of kings, and he will bear the weight of all human government and authority. Every other ruler, every other human leader, every, every prime minister, every president, every head of state, all that authority ultimately is derived from Jesus. Above every earthly authority. Above every earthly rule, there is Jesus, reigning and ruling. Jesus didn't come to sit on a political throne, right? He didn't come as a political leader, didn't come as a military leader. People wanted him to, right? I mean, that's what people, people tried to push him towards that at times. But he resisted. He did not come to sit on Herod's throne. He did not come to sit on Caesar's throne. He came to sit on the throne of the universe. He came to sit on the world's throne. And ultimately, the Bible even says every other authority that exists derives their authority from Jesus. God kind of delegates out a level of authority that human leaders are able to have. But man, haven't we seen in the last week the limits of human government? I mean, isn't that true? You know, the government will be on his shoulders, says Isaiah, but we, we, we see a world where we're just seeing right before our eyes. Human governments are limited. They're limited. And they're doing their best. And they're trying things. And they're seeking to look after their people. But we are seeing the limitations of world leaders in responding to situations like this pandemic. And it just reminds us there is a king above all earthly authority. There is one who reigns and rules above all. The king of kings, Jesus. And there's nothing about this situation that's caught him off guard. Is that right? You know, we look at the responses of some world leaders and we kind of wonder, but there's nothing about our king who was rattled by any of this. Nothing. It's not like he's in reactive mode, like the rest of us kind of are in this. He's not sort of scrambling to figure this out and what should I do now? And oh, I didn't realize there was going to be a pandemic in 2021. I mean, this is, you know, this is God. This is Jesus. And he is reigning and he is ruling and he is on the throne and he is calmly and serenely ruling and reigning over all things. And this is good for us to be reminded of. It's good for us to lift up our eyes, I think, just to lift up our eyes above other human rulers. And remember, our God is still on the throne. He's in control. He's got his hand on history, even when it doesn't look like it, right? Even when it looks like things are out of control, he's still on the throne. He's still in control. And he has still got his hand on our world. And he is still guiding it forward and moving it towards the new creation. We're going to talk about that next week a little bit, God's new creation. He's still moving it towards that day. So this is a good time, I think, for us just to lift up our eyes, look to where our true hope comes from, our true king, the real authority in this situation. He's the king our world needs right now. uh, So we need to look to him. Now, have a look at, there's four titles here that Isaiah uses for Jesus. He says, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. That's the the first title. Jesus is our wonderful counselor. Now, we have got to think about this because when you hear the word counselor, there's a certain set of associations that you have because we have counselors today. We've got some counselors in our church. They're very good people. And we, our minds can easily think therapist when we hear Jesus described as a counselor. And so we can then go down this track of thinking that the primary role Jesus has is to help me have good emotions and help me to feel happy and help me to feel positive about my life, and kind of just work on my mental and emotional health. And that is gonna lead us down a wrong track of thinking about what this means for Jesus to be the wonderful counselor. In fact, there was some interesting research that came out a few years ago in the US, interviewing millennials in the US about their perceptions of God. And this was one of the dominant themes that came through in terms of what do you, who do you think God is, and one of the dominant ideas the researchers found was that millennials think of God as a therapist, They think of him as like a personal therapist. He's there basically to help me solve my problems, just help me have better emotional health, help me generally feel more positive about life, and and to be a happy person. Now, if we apply that to Jesus, we are going to go way, way, way down the wrong track in thinking of who he is as our wonderful counselor. This idea of a counselor in the Hebrew, it has the idea of wisdom. That's, That's the word to keep in mind here. It's the idea of wisdom, that Christ is our wisdom. And the scriptures bear this out. They tell us that Jesus is the embodiment of the wisdom of God. In him, all the wisdom of God dwells. That's the counselor Jesus is. He's not our personal therapist who's just going to make you happy. That's not God's highest priority. He is our source of great wisdom. And you see this in Jesus' ministry, right? I mean, isn't this what he went around doing? He's giving his teachings, his parables, his instructions, his interactions with Pharisees and so on. The mind of God is coming out in this incredible dispensing of wisdom. And this is who Christ is to us today. I mean, this is one of the ways in which we know Jesus as our wonderful counselor. And don't we need to know him like that now? You know, in the midst of where we desperately need wisdom and our leaders need wisdom, we all need wisdom to navigate the complexities of what all this means. And there'll be decisions to make in weeks and months to come. Uh, You'll face decisions in your lives and families and workplaces and so on, and we need wisdom. And thankfully, the Bible says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God, who gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given to them. Doesn't mean that you'll always have exactly all the answers you always want right when you want them. Okay? I'm not, because if you go down that path, you're going to have some unmet expectations. Sometimes we wish we had more answers than we do. Sometimes we wish we had the clarity when we don't have the clarity. But Jesus is still our wonderful counselor. And by his Holy Spirit, he will lead us. He will guide us. He will give you enough clarity at the moments you need them. He's not always going to show you every step of the path. He's not always going to tell you 10 steps down the track. But He will be a light to your path. He will guide you as you trust Him, as you obey Him day by day, as you stay in His Word, as you walk in step with His Spirit. Jesus will lead you. He'll guide you. He'll help you and enable you to navigate the complexities of all this with the wisdom that He gives you step by step. He's our wonderful counselor. Then Isaiah gives us a second title for Jesus. He says, he is mighty God. And just think for a minute about how a Jewish person would have responded to that. I mean, they're reading this thinking this is talking about a human Messiah. This is just talking about a human deliverer who's coming here, this servant of God. And then suddenly one of his names is mighty God. In other words, it's not just that this Messiah is going to be sent by God. It's not just that he's going to be God's ambassador. He will be mighty God. He will be God himself. This was very difficult for Jews to get their head around because they had a very strict monotheism. One God. You think Deuteronomy 6. O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Right? One. So it can't be two gods. Who's this other guy then who's getting called God? Mighty God. And the answer is, of course, Jesus is the very presence Of God with us. He is identified with the very nature of the Father. Jesus says, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the living embodiment of God. But it's good for us who maybe take that for granted a little bit just to appreciate that was a big step within a Jewish worldview to get from here's this man walking around the dusty roads of Capernaum and he is somehow mighty God. He is none other than God himself. But that's who Jesus is. And that word mighty just means strong, powerful. Uh, it's the idea of strength that we have now in and through Jesus. And those times that we feel powerless, uh, those times we feel like we're weak, we don't have the answers, we get to the end of our resources, we get to the end of ourselves. Some of you might be feeling like that now. We just feel like the sense of weakness, like being overwhelmed by a situation. These are times to come back to this name for Jesus, that he is our mighty God. He is our mighty fortress. That's Martin Luther called him that in his hymn, a mighty fortress is our God. I tell you the hymn that's been in my mind this week is, um, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Man, that not that what our world is learning right now? All other ground is sinking sand. You know all this stuff that we thought was all so secure and be the same forever. It's all sinking sand. But this is a time for us now to stand on the one solid rock, Christ, the solid rock. Our mighty God. He has all the strength we need. So, wonderful Counselor, mighty God, and then Isaiah says, everlasting Father. And sometimes in the Old Testament, God is called Father. Not very often. Uh, Places like Psalm 103, uh, as a father has compassion on his children, so God has concern for those who fear his name. Uh, And every time God is called Father, it's always in the context of his love. That's always what the, the writer is emphasizing. It's the love of God. He is our Father. And now Jesus comes, and he is now, because he is God, he is our everlasting Father. And from this, we get that strong assurance that God is a God of love, that Jesus is a Messiah full of love, and he holds us in his everlasting arms. So in those times we feel unloved, those times we feel a bit unworthy, those times we feel unlovable, and we struggle to love even ourselves, and we go through all these phases of self-rejection, self-hatred, and and self-loathing, as so many people so often do. This is a time to come back to this dimension of who Jesus is. He's our everlasting Father. And He wraps us in His arms, and He calls us His children, and He loves us. He holds us in those arms. We are so held in His everlasting arms. Maybe some of you just need to hear that this morning, that you are held in the arms of your everlasting Father. Father, Son, and Spirit, they are holding you now in those arms of love, and He will never, ever let you down. So important to be reminded of that Jesus is our Messiah, whose heart just overflows with love for us as His beloved children. And then finally, Isaiah says he's the prince of peace. And maybe that is the title we need the most at the moment. Maybe this is the dimension of Jesus we all need the most. That word peace is a word many of you know, the word shalom, the Hebrew word shalom. And it's not just a peace deep down in my heart, although it can be that, but it's, it's bigger than that. It's broader than that. At its heart, the word shalom means wholeness or completeness. And and it's used of many things in the scriptures where there's complex parts, many different parts to something, but they all fit together into into a whole, into something that's united, and then that is shalom. So in the book of Job, Job says, my tent is shalom because none of his flocks were missing, none of his sheep were missing, and so everything was shalom. It's not so much about him having a peace in his heart, it's just that all of his flocks were together, his household was together, and so there was that sense of shalom, togetherness, wholeness completeness. And this is what Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. This is what he does for each of us. He takes all these scattered pieces of our lives, and by his grace, he puts them back together. And this is what he's doing in our world, taking some of the broken pieces, some of the scattered pieces in our world, and bringing healing, and bringing renewal, and bringing restoration, and bringing his presence. And one day, this is what Jesus will do for the whole world. Again, we'll talk more about this next week. But this idea of shalom goes so broad, It is so huge. It eventually refers to God bringing the whole creation into this place of shalom, the whole of the cosmos, the entirety of all that he's made. One day, all of that will be shalom. All the complex pieces, all the broken pieces, and we see so much brokenness at the moment, but the promise is one day Jesus is going to transform all of that into this place of shalom. And at the moment, in the present, this is just a wonderful name for God, name for Jesus, to come back to time and time again through the struggles in the moment, through the struggles that are ahead of us, that Jesus is our Prince of Peace. And He, if you ask Him, will breathe that peace into your life. He said to His disciples, Peace I give to you. My peace I leave you. He said, I don't give as the world gives. In other words, the peace of Christ is not the same as the peace of the world. It's not this kind of just a general assurance of things, right? It's not just kind of a a promise, hopefully things will get better. It's not a kind of hollow line. It's not just a slogan. This is a deep, abiding peace. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Peace I give to you. He breathed on his disciples this incredible peace. And Christ, if you're open to it, will breathe upon your life a sense of peace. Doesn't mean all the anxious feelings will suddenly disappear, but it means even in the midst of everything that's changing and all the uncertainties and everything else, you can still experience deeply the peace, the shalom of God. And I encourage you to come back to this name of God time and time again. When you're feeling anxious, when you feel those feelings of fear just naturally rise again, just come back and remind yourself, Christ, you are my Prince of Peace. The Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. That's who he is. That's who he is for the world. That's who he is at a personal level for you. Just keep reminding yourself, Christ is your Prince of Peace. So, you have these four names for the Messiah, and each of them speak to us in a different way, don't they, of who Jesus is. And maybe as you think about them, there's, there's one of those aspects that maybe God wants to press on your heart today. Is it, is it the wonderful counselor? Is it that right now you need that wisdom, that sense of wisdom in what you're going through? Is it that you need to know Jesus as mighty God? You need to know his strength right now. You're just feeling weak. Uh, is it that you need to know him as your everlasting father? You just need to know you're held in the arms of your heavenly father right now. Uh, is it that you need to know him as your prince of peace and just have that peace within your life, and to just know that God is working to bring shalom within the world. How is it that you need to know Christ in the midst of this pandemic? All all of those titles are who he is. They paint this beautiful composite picture of Jesus, but maybe there's one of them that the Holy Spirit today is just saying, here's how I want you to know me. Here's how I want you to know Jesus in this next season. There was a movie that came out a few years ago, animated movie, called The Crudes. I don't know whether any of you saw that. Mainly a kid's movie. These guys saw it. Yes. 2013, I think, that came out. And it's it just kind of been in my head as a bit of an analogy this week. I mean, it's just, a, it's just a fun animated story. But it's about this prehistoric family, and they live in a cave. And the father of the family is super protective. And he doesn't want anything new. anything. He does not want his family going outside the cave at all. That would be... Like danger, that would be something new, something different. But the daughter, I think her name's Eep in the movie, and she is more adventurous and she's curious, right, about what's outside the cave. And she, one night, she's in the cave and she sees something flickering outside the cave and it's fire, but she doesn't know it's fire because she doesn't know what fire is. But she's, she's curious and she wanders outside the cave and, and looks at what is going on. And this kind of draws her, draws her whole family into this amazing adventure of moving outside the cave and towards this, this light and into embracing the whole new world that's coming about. And it's just been in my head this sense of, you know, it feels a bit like there's this sense of darkness at the moment, but sometimes we prefer it in the cave. I think this is our problem. Sometimes we prefer living in the darkness, if we're honest. We prefer life in the cave. You know, And we're, we're kind of being shaken out of that at the moment, but I think as Christians we can still prefer living in a sense, some kind of darkness sometimes. Maybe we just almost prefer sometimes the sense of fear and anxiety because those are familiar feelings to us, and we, we, we want to stay in that space. Um, sometimes we want to stay in the darkness of just our own, our own lives, our own sin, our own lives of just ignoring God, and being disconnected from Him and wandering away, doing our own thing. Our lives of self-sufficiency, that's a kind of darkness. Uh, Sometimes it's just the darkness of self-pity and feeling guilty and feeling condemned and just feeling like we're nothing. And these are all different types of darkness that we can so often just be content to live within. But what God is saying to us through this passage is this is a time to move out of that cave. This is a time to move beyond the darkness and move towards the light because the light of the world has come, right? He's Jesus, He's already come. In Isaiah's day, that was all in the future, but now that light has come and God is calling us to move beyond this kind of darkness that we can so often just live within and to move towards that light, not to be people of fear, but to be people that move towards Christ and ask, what is Jesus doing in the midst of all this? What's he wanting to do in my life right now? What's he wanting to do in our church right now? He's going to be doing some new things among us. What's he doing? Where's he moving in our world? What's God up to? You're going to miss all that if you just succumb completely to fear, you're gonna miss what God is doing in this. You're gonna miss what the, the sunrise, you're gonna miss the sunrise. You won't see it if you're just trapped in that darkness. And I know the feelings of anxiety and the uncertainties, and that's all very normal and natural, and those feelings will be there. But this is a time to look to that sunrise, to look to that light, and to, in a personal way, as families, as a church community, continue to move towards the light of the world, Jesus who has come, clinging to him. He is our Savior. He is our God. He's our wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, He's the king of kings, the son of David, who has come to redeem and restore. And above all, he's with us. He's right here in the midst of all this, and he's not letting go of us. He'll walk with us through it, and he'll show us new things about himself and about ourselves if we allow it. Let's cling to him and allow him to be our Messiah and our Lord and acknowledge him as that as we move through the situation ahead of us. Let's all join together in prayer as we we close today. So Jesus, we want to acknowledge you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our Messiah, that you are the hope of the world. You're the Savior. You're the light that has come into the darkness of this land. The light has dawned. But I think too, Jesus, of that scripture that says the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not understood it. And you, you, you Lord, you, your light is shining, but there's still many, many people who just don't see it and who prefer the darkness. Jesus, I pray that in this season of so much changing, you'd help us to be people of the light. People who look to you, Jesus. People who cling to you. People who are renewed by you. As we think about these names we've talked about, these titles that you bear, and all that they mean for our lives. We pray, Jesus, this would be a time when you refresh our hearts. We pray, Jesus, this would be a time when you lead us to a place of deeper trust. Deeper hope, deeper faith in you. Lord, we just acknowledge so so much of the time, so much of our life, we haven't had to have a lot of faith. We've been able to be reasonably self-sufficient, but now we can't. Now, Jesus, we're in a place we need to look to you more than we have. And even though that's painful, God, and we know that you haven't caused what's going on, we know, God, that you're in the middle of it and you are using this situation to bring people to you, open people's eyes and bring glory to yourself. And we just want to pray, Lord God, that your presence would be stirring in our hearts, in our church, in our communities, in our nation, and in our world. Lord Jesus, we look to you. You're the King of kings. We trust you. We give ourselves again to you. And we pray that you would lead us and guide us through all that is ahead. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, let me just mention a couple of things before we um, go offline today. You know, whenever you have a church service, you've still got to do the notices. You know, it doesn't matter. We're not actually going to pass around an offering bag today. You'll be pleased to know. But I I do want to encourage you to continue giving faithfully. Those of you that do give to to our church, we still rely on that uh, and and will in the days to come, increasingly, really. So uh, please continue faithfully. And of course, the easiest way to do that is through direct debit uh, into our church account. So I want to encourage you to be faithful uh, with that. We are going to be uh, communicating in the next few days in terms of what church looks like in this new era and finding some new and creative ways to connect with each other and to, and to care for each other as well. Pastoral care is going to look a little bit different in this in this new era. But please just uh, check our website and uh, we'll send out an email and we'll, we'll work on our social media presence to make sure that you're in the loop and uh, we'll continue to connect with those that aren't on those platforms and forums to make sure that we're looking after each other as well. Also, I believe... If you scroll down your uh, YouTube screen, keep scrolling, then you will eventually see a few worship links. Uh, If they're not up yet, they will be. But uh, we've just linked to a few worship songs, which are songs that we sing at Shore. And because we're not doing worship this morning, like in in terms of singing, because I think if I tried to do that, that wouldn't be edifying for anyone here. Uh, But we do have three links to three songs, worship songs. And I'd encourage you, Maybe now after this service or sometime in the course of the day, just play those songs. And uh, you can worship along to them or just watch them or have them along in the background. But it's a way of keeping a sense of gathered worship going in our communities. Uh, we'll talk too, maybe in weeks to come about um, some creative ways to do the Lord's Supper as well. That's another important practice for us. And we're not just going to um, stop doing that. But we'll talk about how you can be doing that in families, even today if you want to. Get some bread, get some grape juice and share the Lord's Supper. Um, with anyone in your household at the moment. Of course, do that hygienically and maintain your social distance and so on. But um, it's an important practice. And we're going to share the Lord's Supper here after this service uh, because we want to keep that vital practice of our Christian life going. Uh, I want to thank uh, Curated Botanics for the flowers this morning. John and Abby Lang, that's amazing. I learned what a plinth was this week. So this is fantastic and uh, it's just helped the whole stage environment to be a little bit nicer and warmer. So thank you for that. And uh, I want to encourage you, as we finish this morning, uh, take a bit of time for prayer. If you're, in a, if you're with a group, uh, whether it's just a family there or others that you're with, just take a few minutes now to pray. Pray for each other. Pray for what's going on in our world. Pray for us as a church. Pray for us as a leader, as a leadership. We'd appreciate your prayers. I'd appreciate your prayers. I um, forgot to take the class in seminary called Leading Your Church Through a Pandemic. Uh, so... I unfortunately took theology instead, but you know here we are. So uh, I, I'm, I'm just figuring this out like everybody else, as are our elders, as are our staff, and we've got a wonderful team, and we're talking and praying together, but we'd appreciate your prayers for us as we um, seek to, to guide and shepherd you all through this. So let's be people of prayer. Um, you can do that now in your small groups. As we finish our gathering time, let me just lead us in a benediction from the book of Jude, some words to encourage us. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen grace and peace to you god bless you this has been a teaching message from shore community church for more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on shore community church visit www.shore.org.nz alternatively you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455 thank you for listening